Well, again, good morning. It is a pleasure to be with you all as we are wrapping up this series that we are calling This Is Us. And as we've gone through the past several weeks, we've talked about what does it really mean to be the church. And we've said that really to be the church is to be a family. It's to be the family of God on mission. You see, we tend to think of the church as an institution or an organization that we join. But the reality as we've been looking at God's word and looking at scripture is it's really a family that we're brought into. It's a family we're adopted into through Jesus Christ. And, and it's a family where we live out our values as we pursue the mission that God has given us together. And so we've looked at different family values, and this morning we're going to be looking at yet one more value to kind of wrap it up, uh, wrap up the whole thing. And that value is this, it's that we reach out with the good news. We reach out with the good news. And so as we come before God's word and we take a moment to really reflect on that together, I think it's only right that we allow God to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the message he has for us this morning. So would you please bow your heads and pray with me? Lord God, we give you thanks for the journey that we have been on these past several weeks, for the ways in which you've reminded us of who we are, that we are your children, your sons and daughters, that we are deeply loved by you, that you, Christ Jesus, came to save us, and now you call us, you send us, you send us with that message of love and grace and salvation to the world. And so, Lord, this morning, as we once more come before your word, we ask that you would teach us, that Holy Spirit, you would open our hearts to receive the message you have for us. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So periodically, um, I will have someone come to me with a very, very common question. And the question goes a little something like this. Pastor Nick, I was wondering if you would mind talking to, and then they end up filling in the blank. Maybe it goes something like this. They say, you know, Pastor Nick, um, I, have a, I have a son or a daughter, and uh, now that they're a teenager, they don't want to come to church anymore and stuff like that. And I was wondering if you would mind talking to them, because, you know, you're the pastor. You'll know what to say. Or, you know, Pastor Nick, I, I have this, uh, this brother or this sister or this family member, and I know they've never come to church, and you have no idea who they are, but because you're a pastor and you know all the right answers, would you mind talking to them about, you know, faith and Jesus and, and Christianity and coming to church? Or, Pastor Nick, I have this coworker, and look, I know it's insane. It's like an hour in traffic to come all the way down to the city, but I was wondering if you would randomly meet with this person over lunch. I'll arrange it. I'll pay for the whole thing. Would you please, please, please talk to this person you don't know? about Jesus? Please? All right, usually it's not that bad, but it's something like that, right? People come to me and they think, well, you know, you're a pastor. You know, you went to school, you went to seminary, you know all this theology and this history and all about the Bible and stuff like that. So surely if you were to sit down with someone that I know, like, and you opened your mouth, like a gospel bullet will just come out. This like, this like silver bullet will just, will just happen and it'll hit their heart and, and suddenly they'll become a follower of Jesus. But it doesn't work that way. It was never meant to work that way. And you see, the truth is, is that, yes, as a pastor, I am here to, to equip you and to support you. The reality is, is that all of us are called to reach out with the good news, not just me. And often when people come to me and they ask me to, to meet with their friend or their family member or their son or their daughter in the hopes that I can somehow maybe convince them to become a Christian, there's really some other fears that are causing us to go to that reaction. There's really some other fears that are at the heart of that problem. 
Sometimes I think one of, the, one of the fears is that I just don't know enough. I don't know enough. Like if they have a really tough question about the Bible or about the history of the church or a really tough question about theology, I just won't know enough to answer their question. And if I don't know enough, then they won't come to faith in Jesus. So I'm just gonna, I'm gonna outsource this to the professionals and ask them to help. Or maybe the other fear is, is but what if we get into the conversation and, then, and I say something dumb and, and they get upset and all of a sudden they're mad at me and I'm mad at myself and we're no longer friends anymore? Or what if, what if it goes so terribly? What if I say something so horrible that actually they would turn their back on God and walk out of the church and never, ever, ever come back again? You see, when people come to me and they say, would you mind doing this? I think often there are these fears that, that kind of lie at the root of what they're wrestling with. And these fears that I can't, I can't share the good news with this person. I don't know enough. I might say the wrong thing. They might be upset. And so we hope that, well, maybe someone else will, will come and do it. Maybe my pastor will come and do it. Maybe I'll just pray that God sends other Christians into their lives who know more than I do. But all these responses are really born of fear. It's a fear that we live in a hostile mission environment. That if we were ever to step out in faith and try to share our faith with someone, they will either be so skeptical or so hostile or have such difficult questions that we can't possibly do the mission. So we can just kind of sit back and hope and pray that God will send someone else. But I have news for you this morning, and I hope it's good news. And that is, is that the mission field that we are called to here in America is not, is not quite as hostile as many uh, people would think. In fact, recently, the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College partnered with Lifeway Research to do the largest survey of unchurched people in America to date. The last time a survey was done like this was back in the late 1990s. And what they did is they conducted tens of thousands of interviews with people who've said, I am unchurched. I'm not interested in going to church. I don't consider myself a Christian. They're, they're called the spiritual nuns today. And that they, 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 whenever they're asked what their religious affiliation is, they mark none. And they did a research of these people and they asked them questions specifically about evangelism, specifically about Christians sharing their faith with them. And here is what they found. They found that 75% of unchurched Americans are open to having conversations about God, faith, and spirituality. 75% of the unchurched said, I have no problem talking with someone about God or faith or spirituality. I have no problem with Christians in my life wanting to talk about faith with me. Furthermore, only 1% said that they respond with hostility to their Christian friends when they share their faith. Only 1% said, yeah, when Christian friends or family members share their faith with me, I kind of try to give them a really hard time. Only 1%. Here's another number, and I, I find this really uh, fascinating. 50 million Americans, approximately one-third, would go to church if a friend invited them. That's of unchurched people. They said, one-third said, you know, if a friend or a family member, somebody that I know loves me and that cares about me, invited me to church, I would go. You see, the mission field that we're called to is not quite as hostile as we might think. In fact, Jesus put it this way when he was talking to his disciples. He says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are ripe for harvest. 
He said that there are countless people out there who desire to enter into conversations about God and faith, that there are countless people out there that God wants us to reach and that the fields are ripe for harvest. And so the question I have is, so where's the disconnect? We see those numbers and we see that our mission field is quite open and yet we still have this fear in our hearts, this fear that holds us back from reaching out with the good news. And I think it's because we've forgotten some things. In fact, I would argue that we've forgotten three things that our passage for this morning helps us understand about what it means to reach out with the good news. That there are three things in our text for this morning that are good reminders for us about what God has done and how God is sending us when we reach out with the good news. And so I want to take a look at each of those three things in turn by inviting you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2 in your Bibles. And let me set up the context just a little bit here. So Acts chapter 2 takes place in Jerusalem. And before this, what has happened is Jesus has been crucified and he rose again from the dead. He's appeared to his disciples and to many others. And in Acts chapter 1, he returns to heaven. But before he returns to heaven, he, gives them a, he, he tells them a couple things. The first is, I will come back. There is a time when I will return. And he says, but in the meantime, you, my disciples, are called to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. But wait. Wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. And so that's exactly what the disciples do. They go back to Jerusalem and they're waiting. They're waiting until Jesus sends them something. And that brings us to the festival of Pentecost. You see, Pentecost was a harvest festival. I think it's kind of interesting. It's at a harvest festival. A harvest festival when Jews from around the Roman world are gathered together. They've come to Jerusalem to celebrate this harvest festival. It's kind of like their Thanksgiving, giving thanks to God for all that he's done for them. And while all these people are gathered into the city, we read the following. It says that when the day of Pentecost arrived, the disciples were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. At this harvest festival, God enters in and gives them power from on high. The Holy Spirit is poured out on the disciples, and then we read that they immediately start speaking about the glories of God in other languages. And they go out into the streets and they start talking with all the people who are gathered there, and people are amazed because these are Galileans. These are people from kind of the backwater of, of, of Israel and Judea. These are not the religious professionals. These are not the Pharisees. These are not the scribes and the priests. These are everyday Joes and Janes are filling the streets of Jerusalem and speaking in other languages to other people, telling them about the glory of God. And everybody rightly is like, what is going on? What's taking place? And so Peter gets up and he gives his very, very first sermon. And it's in that first sermon that he does something. He goes all the way back to the Old Testament. And he ends up quoting from the Old Testament prophet Joel. He says, do you want to know what's happening? Do you want to know what's taking place? Let me tell you. 
In these last days it shall be, the Lord declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. On your sons and on your daughter, uh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. See, Peter says that God has always planned that one day he would pour out his spirit not just on the priests and kings, but that he would pour out his spirit on all of his children. That his Holy Spirit would dwell in their hearts and that through them God would prophesy to the nations. God would speak of his glories to those who are far off that they might believe. And that this gift of the Holy Spirit is given to the old and to the young, to the rich and to the poor, to men and to women. That they might bear the message of God to all people. See, what Peter says is he says, the, he says the Holy Spirit has been given to everyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ. Everyone who calls themselves Christian has God's spirit and his power dwelling within them. It's not just the pastors. It's not just the religious professionals. And I think that this is the first thing that we have to keep in mind when we realize that we are called to reach out with the good news is that we go with the power of God's spirit. We go with the power of God's spirit. So that when we enter into those conversations and those difficult moments, we realize we're not just in that conversation alone. God himself is at the table. God himself is in the relationship. In fact, Jesus at one point, speaking to his disciples about the challenges they would face, said this. He says, when you are dragged before judges and kings, know this. Don't be anxious about how you are to speak or what you're about to say. For what you are to say will be given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Jesus is saying the spirit of God goes with you in every circumstance. And I think that this helps provide some comfort because, you know, I think about uh, my kids for a moment. You know, since having small kids, I've noticed that there's kind of a pattern with small kids. And, it always, and I always see it uh, emerge when it's time for them to do something new. Maybe it's the first day of school or it's the first uh, day of ballet class, or the first day of soccer camp, you know, we'll drive up to the building, and we'll be like, all right, we're here, and my kids will, like, stay in their seats. They've been talking about it all day. They're really excited, but they just sit there in their seats, and then they say, but, but you're coming with me, right? It's like, yeah, I'm coming with you. But why do they ask that question? Well, because they want to know if their mom and dad are going to be there. If they're about to enter into an uncertain situation, where they might not know all the rules or they might not know what to say or what to do and they want to know, is mom and dad, are they going to be there with me to help me? And the answer is, yes, of course, we're going to be there to help you. And what Jesus is saying is when you enter into those uncertain circumstances where you are called to share your faith with others, the spirit of your father is there. He's saying, I'm there. I'm with you in this conversation. I can give you words to speak. I can help you to know when to speak and to be silent. I can teach you what to do if you'll just go with me. See, the first thing we have to keep in mind is that we go with the power of God's Spirit. We go with the power of God's Spirit. But the second thing that we learn from the book of Acts is that we learn about the unique plan of God. 
We learn about the unique plan of God. Because notice what then happens. Upon hearing all these disciples speaking in all these other tongues, the people are amazed. They're amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear them, each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them, but we hear them telling in our own tongues of the mighty works of God. See, what's fascinating about when God pours out his spirit at Pentecost is that they then go out and they start speaking to all the people who are gathered from all around the world there in Jerusalem. We learn that these people, while they're all Jewish, they come from different backgrounds, from different cultures, from different parts of the empire. And they are called to, and these disciples are called to share the good news with them. But what I find fascinating is how they do it, how God equips them to do it. Because you see, to live in the Roman Empire in those days, you had to know a certain language in order to engage in commerce and trade and, and things like that. And that was Koine Greek. You see, Greek had been spread all around the Mediterranean world because of Alexander the Great. And then when the Roman Empire expanded, they basically just picked it up. It was like the lingua franca of the day. This is the language that he used in trade and in commerce to write letters, to write official documents, and so on and so forth. And most people in the empire at least knew how to speak it. And yet, what we're told is the disciples don't speak to them in Greek. And likewise, we know that all these people um, who are gathered there, that they're all Jewish. So they have a common religious language, and that would be Hebrew. And yet what we realize is that the disciples aren't called to speak to them in Hebrew. You see, God equips them to speak to these people in their own native languages. To speak to them in their mother tongue to speak to them in their heart languages so that they can hear the good news in a way that they can understand. You see, God's desire is to use unique methods to reach unique people. He doesn't expect us to learn some other language first. He doesn't expect us to enter into some other culture first. Rather, God desires to meet us on our terms in a way that we can understand and in a way that speaks to our hearts. God desires to send his message through unique people to unique people. And that's why when people come to me and they say, you know, Pastor Nick, can you come and talk to my child, to my brother or sister, to my family member, to my coworker, to my neighbor? I say, no, because that's not the way it's supposed to work. God desires to use unique people to reach unique people. Which means that the best person to speak into their life is you. You got this. You are God's plan A. There is no plan B. Because the reality is, is you are perfectly situated in who you are to speak to them in a way that they can understand. I can't tell you how many times I've actually taken people up on that invitation. I say, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And I will spend meeting after meeting after meeting, uh, countless cups of coffee until I'm like wildly caffeinated. And we've been talking about like all kinds of deep historical and cultural and theological and religious and biblical topics. And at the end of it, they're still sitting there like, yeah, okay. But they... No response. But then they go home and they spend time with another friend of theirs who is a Christian and as they're going through a tough situation, that person says, hey, can I just pray for you? I believe that God loves you and, and, how can, and, and I'm here, how can I help? 
And they'll come back to me and they'll be like, I get it now. I get it. Jesus is totally the Messiah. I believe. I want to follow him. And we're just like, we've been talking for eight hours about this. But that's the way it's supposed to work. You are in their lives. You know them better than I do. You understand what burdens their heart, what interests they have. You share the same workplaces and neighborhoods, the same life stage and struggles. You are perfectly positioned to speak the gospel to those around you. And my guess is that any one of us, we can close our eyes and we can see the faces of the people that we love who don't yet follow Jesus. And the answer isn't to bring them to pastor. The answer is to go to them with the good news, to walk alongside them and to show them Jesus. In your presence, in their lives, in the words that you speak as you point them to the hope that we have, as you serve them and wrestle through the questions together. That's the way it's supposed to work. God wants to, you are uniquely positioned to reach the people that God is sending you to, to reach the people that God has put in your life. Your family history, your interests, your culture, your language, your gifts, your skills, your abilities, your talents, your profession, all these things woven together in a unique tapestry that make you you so that you can reach someone else far better than I ever could. You see, we're sent with the power of God's spirit, but we're also given a unique calling where each of us is made unique for the purpose of reaching unique people. But there's a third thing that we see in this passage, and that is that God gives us a clear message. He gives us the power of his spirit. He gives us a unique calling, but then he also gives us a clear message. You see, after Peter gets up and he kind of explains what is going on, he summarizes his entire message in just a few lines. When they say, so what do we need to do? What do we need to do to be saved? He responds with this short little phrase. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. That's it. Two lines. That's the message. And often in our culture today, we, we read those two lines and there are certain words that can kind of trip us up. Words like repent and forgiveness and sins. But that's only because we've, we've lost sight of what those words actually mean and how this message is actually the best news you could possibly given, be given. And I want to break it down for just a moment. Let's start with that word repent. All repent means is turn. Turn from one thing to another. And I think that this is a beautiful message for us today because there are constantly people who are pursuing meaning and purpose by running after the wrong things. That every single one of us is, is wondering, who am I and why am I here and what is my purpose? And we often find our purpose in the wrong things, things that can't ultimately satisfy. We try to find our purpose in our jobs, but then when we lose our jobs, we're left aimless. We try to find our purpose in our relationships, but the moment those relationships fall apart and we break up, we're lost. We try to find our purpose and our meaning in a cause, but then when the cause fails, we feel like failures. We try to find our meaning and our purpose in our political party. Party, and when we don't win, we're angry. We try to find our purpose in all these things. And at the end of the day, there's nothing. And the message of Christianity is turn 
Turn to the one thing that can give you meaning and purpose in life, a meaning and a purpose that can never be taken away. Stop running after that other stuff and instead turn to the one who made you, who knows you, and who has a purpose for your life. That's good news. But let's get into some of the other words for a second. For the forgiveness of your sins. You see, all of us know, especially in those moments when the things that we're pursuing don't pan out, that there's something wrong. That there's something wrong in our lives. That there's something wrong with the world. That's what sin is. Things are wrong. Things are broken. Things are not the way that God designed them to be. But when we look to the other world's religions and we wonder, so what is it going to take for me to have hope and for me to have eternal life or for me to find enlightenment, the answer from all the other world's religions is work harder. Clean up your act. Do something great. Stop doing this and that and that and this. Get your act together. Clean yourself up. Uh, clean yourself up and maybe if you're good enough at the end of the date, those pearly gates will open for you. But what Peter says is he says, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. What he's saying is he's saying your sins are not yours to deal with. They're God's to deal with. And our God is not a God of judgment. He is not a God of to-do lists and moralistic laws. Our God is a God of forgiveness. Our God is a God who says, I know I know you've fallen short. I know you've messed up. And I love you anyways. And I forgive you. And all I'm asking you to do is trust me. That's it. See, in a world that says try harder, God says I forgive you. And that I will deal with your sins. The way he deals with our sins is by taking the punishment for them onto his own shoulders, by dying in our place so that we would know that we're forgiven. And again, in a world that says try harder, that is good news. Lastly, he says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and this promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. So he's saying, he's saying not only does God forgive you, but God loves you so much that he wants to do all of life with you. He wants to set up his home, not in some church building or some temple. He desires to set up his dwelling place in your heart so that wherever you go, in every season of life, you would know God's presence is with you. The spirit of your father goes with you. And this is an offer that is made to everybody. From the greatest to the least, men and women, Adults and children, the rich and the poor, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation can have this relationship with God which can begin right now and will extend into eternity, God's presence going with you. You no longer have to grope about in the dark wondering who is God and what is he like and does he like you? Because the answer of our very simple message is you know who God is. God is Jesus Christ. And he loves you so much he died for you and rose again and he gives you now his Holy Spirit so that wherever you go, you can know his presence and his love. In fact, that's where Peter roots the whole message. He says it's in the name of Jesus. Why? Because it's in Jesus that we come to know the character of the God we worship. That we come to know him as the one who is indeed love. 
as the one who actually enters into our world because he wants to have a relationship with us. The one who's willing to bear the punishment for our sins on his own shoulders to give us forgiveness. The one who rises again to new life so that we would know that our life is indeed eternal. Another Christian writer put it this way. This is from the Apostle Paul. He said, this is how we know that God loves us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the simplicity of our message. And it's a beautiful message that our world needs to hear. It's clear. It's a message that all of us can talk about and all of us can share. See, we are called to reach out with the good news. But to help us fulfill that calling, God gives us the power of his spirit. He equips us for a unique calling. And he gives us a clear message. The power of his spirit, a unique calling, and the clear message. That's what he gives to us. And our job is simply to go. To go in the power of his spirit, to tell others about his love. You know, a little bit earlier on in this series, we talked about what it's going to take to reach the world with the message of the good news. We said that in order to reach the entire world, every Christian has to reach how many people? Do you remember? Two to three. If there are two billion Christians and a little over seven billion people on the face of this planet, it means that each of us needs to reach two to three people. That's it. That's your mission field. And my guess is every single one of us knows exactly who those people are in our lives, that we can close our eyes and we can see their faces. And as we wrap up this series, I want to invite you to start to reach out with the good news to those that God has placed in your life. And to help you do that, we actually gave you something when you walked in this morning. When you walked in, you should have gotten a couple of these. These little invite cards from the ushers. These little invite cards simply have our church's name on one side, and on the back side, it actually has the time of our uh, Christmas services, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. It also has our website on that. All it says is you're invited. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to take these. I want you to think of your two to three, and I want you to put these into their hands and to invite them to come with you. Say, hey, I know Christmas is coming up. I'd love for you to come and worship with me. Here's the time at Christmas Eve and Christmas Day services. Would you come? Now, I can promise you there are going to be people who, they're going to say no. And the reason why is they might already have plans. They might say, oh, you know, Christmas Eve, we're going to be out of town. Christmas Day, we're going to be doing this. So here's the thing. Don't limit your invitation to Christmas. Advent starts next week. So I just want you to come with me to an Advent service. Just come with me on, on, on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. I will be there. Please don't just put this card in their hand and say, hey, pick one. You know, maybe you'll come sometime. Tell me if you're going to be there. Put it in their hand and say, Hey, this coming Sunday, I'm going to be at church at 10 a.m. I would love to sit with you. And afterwards, let's get coffee. Let's go out for brunch. Let's talk a little bit about what you're hearing and what your questions are. But all we're doing is we're simply asking you to go where God has placed you. To reach out to the people that he's already put in your lives. To take a step. To invite them to join you at church. To invite them to join you in small group. To invite them to sit down over coffee and talk about life and faith and God. And to go knowing that God's spirit and his power is with you. That he has uniquely equipped you for this calling. And that he has given you a clear message that is good news for those who need to hear it. And so I want to wrap this series by praying for us. Would you please bow your heads and pray?
Lord God, we give you thanks that you do indeed send us with a clear message. That you send us in the power of your spirit and that you've uniquely equipped each of us for the mission you've called us to. And so, Lord, I pray that we would trust in your spirit, that we would ask for that power, that you would open doors for us to share, and that through us we would indeed see more people coming to know you and coming to follow you. We thank you that you don't call us into that mission field alone, but you send us as a family. But most importantly, you, you send us with your presence. And may we bring that presence to our friends, to our family, to our neighbors, and to our coworkers this Christmas season. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, who is indeed our Lord and Savior, that we say, Amen.